everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Trois, and I'm really looking forward to this week's broadcast. Each week, we try to present you with the most diverse group of panelists and speakers that one can find anywhere. These range from theologians to portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, politicians, you name it. If they've written a book, we're going to have them on air talking about it. And by the way, we're not going to follow a scripted, organized discussion, but rather have a free-form discussion so that we can talk about the things that are top of mind, and more importantly, ask the questions that you would probably have asked yourself. Feel free to recommend the show to friends and colleagues, and with that, let's get on with this week's edition of Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Troyce, here in Singapore through month three or four. I've lost count. Every day is a Tuesday in this COVID world. And joining me today is Michael Sobel from Trumid. Michael, based in Long Island, how are you today? Uh, hi, Frank. Uh, pleasure, to, uh, <laughs> pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I'm doing doing well. Yeah, the, the way I heard uh, your uh, your phrasing kind of referred to recently was that it's uh, it's March 125th, so uh, <laughs> it, it, it does it does have a Groundhog Day feel here, but uh, the weather is weather is nice and the days are longer, and um, you know there are some some silver linings to all of this. So I'm doing quite well. Great to be here with you. Good stuff. Thank you for thank you for participating. And and uh, you know, Michael, I appreciate you letting me give you the the subtle dig as it relates to Long Island. And and I I think for our listeners, if you don't mind, one of the things we we shy away from, but I think here is a is a means of introducing you and Trumid. Um, could you could you give our our folks a quick elevator overview of what Trumid does? Because I, I I would really like to kind of jump in deep related to, you know, the success that you guys have had in a COVID environment when, when you look at it, it should not have worked, but maybe we'll start. If you could just give our listeners a quick overview of, of, of uh, what you guys do, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, of course. We'd love to. Uh, so we are an electronic trading platform for corporate bonds uh, focused here in, in the U S and, Corporate bonds, uh, it's a big market. So kind of for context, it's a kind of $10 trillion market uh, amongst the larger um, sort of financial products um, on, on the planet. And uh, like most fixed income instruments, corporate bonds are predominantly traded um, OTC, so over the counter, which means that they are kind of bought and sold uh, typically between kind of banks and buy side clients, whether that's asset managers, hedge funds, insurance companies, what have you. Um, but they are bought and sold predominantly over the phone. Uh, and that is kind of the same way that they've been, uh, the same sort of nature of commerce uh, as has been in place for, you know, for as long as there have been corporate bonds bought and sold. And uh, you know, our view is that there is material opportunity for technology to um make that process more efficient. Um, so we have created, the company's about six years old, we've created effectively a, it's a platform. Um, so it's a, it's a marketplace for 
um, all institutional, and that's important because it's not a retail platform, but all institutional uh, buyers and sellers of corporate bonds. So uh, banks and brokerage companies and, as I mentioned, asset managers, hedge funds, insurance companies are all participants on the platform, and we've just given them a, a network or a venue, so to speak, to interact with one another in a variety of ways and to transact uh, the benefits of doing business that way, like um, really most uh, marketplace-type businesses or really e-commerce platforms uh, are efficiency, distribution of information, the ability to use data um, to connect the dots in ways that are difficult to do over the phone. It creates transparency, lowers transaction costs, uh, and a variety of things that um, at all times we think uh, are beneficial to all of the participants in, uh, in the market and really leverage uh, a lot of tools and techniques that you've seen many other um, sort of more uh, commoditized or um, more liquid uh, instruments uh, really benefit from over the course of the last several decades and in the last few years. That's been a really important part of the corporate bond uh, landscape. Um, we're focused on U.S. corporate bonds really because myself and uh, the founding partners uh, spent several decades of our careers buying and selling corporate bonds in an OTC environment before this. So we really thought we understood uh, the nuances of kind of how to um, how they're bought and sold and how to build a mousetrap that can uh, can really kind of electronify this. Uh, this kind of legacy workflow. Uh, what we're doing is you know, quite relevant for adjacent asset classes, products, and geographies. Um, so as we've really gotten traction and uh, and kind of figured out a lot in the last, as you'd imagine, in the last few years, um, we are you know actively thinking about uh, expanding the footprint of the business from a product and a geography perspective. You know, with that, it, and and I always find it fascinating when people hear about companies, especially, you know, in your case where you've, you've, you're obviously now successful. And as our listeners are probably Googling you as we speak, the, the, and they're recognizing it. It's, it's always fascinating to me how with the benefit of hindsight, everybody would be like, oh yeah, of course that, 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 that was the most obvious thing to do. But take, take me back to when you guys six years ago were looking at this because on the face, and I'm just going to play devil's advocate with you for the sake of, of, of um, provoking a discussion. But I mean, there's a lot of what you're saying. Like if, if I was in the room with you and just being the Debbie Downer of the conversation, I would have said, oh, there has to be two or three other institutions that have to be thinking about this. So what 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 six years ago caused you guys to say, no, there is a market opportunity. The value proposition is strong enough and, and we can enter this space because on the on the face of it. And again, I'm purposely being cynical on the face of it, it would seem like a very, very obvious extension for maybe one of the legacy players to play here. So what, what was the catalyst for you guys to say, nope, that's not going to happen. We, we can do this. Yeah, you know, we, we certainly heard a lot of that early on. And, um, you know, fortunately, we, we kind of powered through. It absolutely has been, um, you know, interestingly, I would say, as I say, it's been sort of more difficult or taken longer, and the hurdles have been different, certainly, than what we expected them to be. Uh, you know, it turns out that the hardest part of it um, has really been uh, driving behavioral change. So, you know, you're absolutely right. There are kind of logical incumbents in the space 
uh, venues that are good at doing similar things that should kind of logically be able to apply that in um, in corporate bonds. Uh, and they have been, you know, they are um, competitors of ours. And, you know, frankly, the, um, the migration of this tremendous amount of flow from the phone to, uh, to te- technological electronic venues um, is really a very big pie. Uh, mm-hmm. So some of those incumbents have been quite successful in moving into corporate bonds uh, while there's been plenty of room for us to grow as well. Really the hard part uh, is getting you know, large masses of human beings that have been um, doing business a certain way to try new things and get comfortable with them and embed them in their in their workflow. It, it, it's interesting. It feels like for um, kind of consumer apps, um, the adoption curve can be really fast. And, you know, I think we all across lots of elements of our life uh, have, you know, now used technology to do things that uh, at some point not too long ago we imagined um, sort of had to be done kind of in person or in some in some binary fashion. Um, things that we now buy um, on the internet, the way that we, um, you know, interact with obviously each other uh, it happens way more electronically than it used to. Uh, whereas I think when it comes down to kind of how you make your living and do your job, um, there are for a variety of reasons, especially we're talking about a regulated institutional market. So there are all sorts of kind of governors on the pace of change. Uh, but um, the behavioral change actually has been the, you know, I think the, the, the toughest part. Our review was we really understood this product and where it would be able to get all the little details right, that kind of user experience, which frankly in, um, in kind of capital markets technology, uh, when you think about some of the legacy providers, kind of UI and UX are just not really things uh, that, that play as big a role as they do in um, kind of consumer type apps. So we thought we'd be able to get all the kind of last mile stuff right, and that would make a big difference. And we also uh, recognized that as a network type concept, it was tremendously important above and beyond having the, the thing work properly to get a broad and diverse set of participants, you know, to the party, so to speak. And we felt that as kind of insiders to the market, we were uniquely capable of, you know, really um, through the kind of hand-to-hand combat of signing up big institutions to get all of the important players and the second and third and fourth tier players too, um, to show up to this network and really kind of create the liquidity that then has a tremendous gravitational pull for everyone else. So um, had anyone kind of really told us how hard it would be and some of the hurdles that we couldn't have imagined, you might have kind of, you might have actually blown us off course <laughs> back five or six <laughs> years ago. But um, I think the, the fundamental elements of the thesis uh, actually are, have been the things to differentiate us and, and certainly many other, you know, many incumbents or kind of uh, seeming incumbents have tried to get into corporate bonds and, and not succeeded for one reason or another. There have been plenty of other sort of would-be new entrants like ourselves that um, have sort of tried and wound up kind of going in a different direction. Um, so uh, it has been, uh, we've definitely had to kind of fight through a lot of challenges and to get where we are now. And the kind of the last thing I would say about that, as I'm saying it, the, you know, that pace of behavioral change 
really has been tremendously accelerated um, over the course of the last few months. And I think that the um, the sort of sticky behavior of here, you know, the here's how we've always done things, um, the kind of preconceptions about what works and what doesn't work have all have all sort of been um, forcibly kind of knocked over by the necessities of this totally unprecedented operating environment that we're all in. And I think we all have had to become far more comfortable with um, with technology as a way to buy and sell things, as a way to um, communicate with colleagues and family members and friends, and to, it's sort of a, a kind of forced adoption of a lot of these new things. And, you know, I think uh, we've sort of all experienced the phenomenon that I think probably, you know, five years of, of kind of history and certainly five years of um, technology adoption uh, have now been compressed into five months or in some cases, five weeks. Um, so, uh, you know, really important for us to be, you know, embedded enough to be a trusted tool uh, when kind of the world got turned upside down. Uh, but we definitely have seen a material acceleration of the adoption curve um, over the course of the last few months. Yeah, and, and, and you're saying something there, I think that's in incredibly important. And, and, and also, I, I would add to that, at least what, what we're seeing here in, in, in Asia as well is the, um, uh, it's an irreversible transition. And, and, and if, if, we could, if we could spend a little bit of time on that, because I, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, one, to your point, the behavioral change and the network dynamic around that. And, and actually, forgive me, Michael, if, if I want to take one step back before we go forward on, on um, what you're now seeing in, in the market relative to what's happening with COVID. But, but w- if you had to look back in retrospect and if you were writing the history of Trumid, because again, and for our listeners, I'm going to say something crass, but you know, in the old days, there were a lot of perverse incentives around how you interacted with your, your brokers and your intermediaries. So, you know, it, it could have been, as, you know, and I'm going to say something very base. It could have been as function of, you know, this person had seats to the Rangers and, and you knew you could always get hockey tickets. How, how, when you guys were looking at this, was this kind of, hey, let's throw some spaghetti up on the wall and see what the tipping point is or, or, or uh, and, and maybe it was that and or B, was it, was it more uh, like, did you have a sense as to like, hey, if we can get X, Y, Z participants to go here behind that, we know that there's 10, 20 deep that will follow in, in, in terms of that, because that. Because again, I don't want to diminish the significance of that tipping point for you. Because you know you're 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 being very humble, but that behavioral change is is and was huge in terms of getting people to use the old Jeffrey Moore quote on crossing the chasm. You you got them to cross, and now you're seeing the classic J curve phenomenon. But what 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 came down to that? Like how deliberate and tactical did that have to be to push it over the edge, or was it just a you know like hey we're we're going to we're going to push hard on a number of fronts and one of these will break and the dam will burst i mean can you walk us through how you guys were thinking about that then yeah you know i think there's two there's really two pieces to it there's the there is the kind of critical mass of important participants and you know unlike a kind of consumer product in us corporate bonds there are uh 250 to 300 institutions that make up 80 to 85% of the kind of holdings of corporate bonds and the, the secondary trading, right? So the buying and selling them every day. So we don't have, for better or worse, there aren't a million consumers 
that we only have to kind of find that five, 10% that are the vanguard and that's enough to kind of build a product on and then they will, you know, spread the word, spread the gospel. Uh, you actually really need a pretty high percentage of those key nodes in the market um, to be there in order to make it worthwhile for everyone else to be there. I mean, it's kind of classic kind of network effect stuff. So we knew exactly who those people were. Um, we had kind of um, interacted with them and built relationships with them over a long period of time. And we were very targeted in, uh, well, we kind of had to get in front of all of them, but we knew who they were. And we really prioritized up front, um, telling them the story, getting them bought in and, and pulling them onto the platform. And, you know, probably of all the things we learned in the second half of 2014, really the fourth quarter of 2014, when we crisscrossed the country a bunch of times and had, you know, those 300 meetings over the course of about a month or so amongst the kind of five of us or so that formed the company. And most people were pretty enthusiastic about what we had to say. We, you know, are high-fiving and felt like, cool, we have a client base. And then we found out, uh, how long it takes a large financial institution to sign up to a new trading venue. Uh, and, you know, that was a real, it's a real barrier to entry in this kind of institutional regulated market uh, now has become a big moat around the business because building out that network is really, really tough, but it was very intentional um, from that, from that perspective, uh, kind of a, a somewhat the inverse um, or the kind of opposite approach with the product itself and the technology, we definitely had a vision. Um, and that vision is not tremendously different than um, the sort of outline of how the product works today. But we really, you know, we were, the thing we were committed to was to build the technology um, in a way that uh, it was highly iterative, to uh, uh, have it be, you know, really it's kind of an ongoing design build approach that we are collaborating with clients, we're kind of using our own data to learn what's work, to observe and analyze uh, what's working, what's not working, and be really fast around the kind of um, iterations of how the thing works because you know this is a market, a giant marketplace in the third or fourth inning of its evolution. And we are, you know, we like to think, and I think we are driving some of that evolution, but we're also learning with the market what works. And I think our, you know, amongst our strongest kind of competitive advantages now, and this is a big difference of being a three, four, five-year-old technology stack with all of the uh, more modern uh, languages and deployment techniques and architectures that you can employ, as opposed to some of those incumbents, we are um, kind of much more capable of learning and reacting um, and kind of delivering on the evolving set of needs of the market. Um, so that is definitely definitely um, and intentionally a kind of learn as you go exercise. And how at, at the end of the day, if we if we do fast forward to today, because you you're you're you alluded to this earlier when when you were introducing the company, what 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 are now that you've crossed the Rubicon in terms of the network effect and 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 have built the marketplace and the platform, what 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 now are the what what are the assets like what 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 do you see because you 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 alluded to the fact that now given where you are you can start looking at potentially other areas and other markets not necessarily geographic but maybe potentially even other asset classes so what at the end of the day are the assets that the company has today 
is is it a function of that user base? Is it a function of the the data that you have? What what at the end of the day is is what's going to do? You know, when we when we circle back in three years, you're going to say, "Yep, that's what we talked about in uh, 2020," and we just built right from that asset base. But what would those be? How would you describe that today? Yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, the client base is absolutely an asset. Um, the in, those 300 institutions, you won't be surprised to to kind of. Um, Remember, they don't only trade U.S. corporate bonds, right? These are the biggest uh, banks and asset managers and hedge funds in the world, and they are also the most important participants in the other financial products. Uh, there are, while equities and FX and the rates market are, for the most part, electronified already, and there's plenty of room for improvement and so on and so forth, uh, there are, you know, a number of asset classes that are sort of semi-liquid fixed income instruments, um, other elements of the credit market, whether that's emerging markets or structured products or, uh, or munis or loans or credit default swaps um, that are kind of in similar stages of their evolution. And guess what? Those clients, those institutions are also amongst the most important play, uh, uh, players in those markets. So having gone through that really onerous process of getting them signed up to be uh, participants on our ATS, Alternative Trading System, uh, this regulated platform that we run, uh, and delivered kind of all the best of what we can offer in our core competency, the ability to kind of um, touch and service and help those clients in other similar asset classes, each one will require um, some tweaks and kind of last mile details. Uh, but um, it's a real, it's a real asset uh, that client base that I think that we can uh, uh, scale, and we've got a number of plans to do that. So that's a key asset. The, you know, that plastic um, kind of flexible and scalable uh, technology stack uh, that you know truly is uh, uh, best in class, and in some ways because it's kind of new and designed to be um, flexible. And scalable, while of course um, essentially uh, uh, resi uh, resilient and reliable. We're transacting, you know, north of a billion dollars of corporate bonds every single day. Um, it has to work every single time, and it does. Uh, but that that kind of technology stack is truly a uh, an asset and a scalable asset. And then you know the last bit, uh, which you mentioned, is all of the data that we collect. Now, fundamentally, an OTC market where things are bought and sold over the phone and, and jotted down in notebooks and so on and so forth, doesn't get any of the benefit of kind of structured and recorded data uh, that we all know is tremendously valuable in making things happen more efficiently and being able to analyze how did I do uh, when I traded with these counterparties, when I behaved in a certain way, making sure the correct information gets, you know, we think we talk about narrow casting information as opposed to broadcasting it. So the data that we collect uh, makes that, in addition to being able to observe and analyze and continue to improve based on what we see, um, that data, um, forget whether it's kind of commercializable in its own right, and of course, ultimately it is, but it is, it's the kind of raw material that allows us to continue improving the platform and kind of keeping, it's the kind of, it's the glue that holds the network together. Um, because the more data we build up, the more valuable uh, the network, the product itself is. Um, so that's absolutely something that we invest heavily in uh, and we believe kind of continues to create that virtuous cycle of 
um, success breeding more success. And, 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 and if you can indulge me, I want to ask you two more questions and, and you're being very considerate with your time. The, going back to your earlier point on, on COVID, um, and I remember there was one story here that I, I literally had to roll my eyes in. It was a few months ago. And, and ironically, because of COVID, I was talking to the chief digital officer of a very, very large financial institution out here. And, and a large part of their sales force was face-to-face in terms of what they did. And, and we were, he was comparing notes with me in regards to how challenging it was. And he said, Frank, I have to be honest with you, uh, believe it or not, I actually was in front of a room with, with, with our management and walking them through what DocuSign was. And, and he said that, you know, that that's how far behind they were. They, they, as an organization, they, they, you know, didn't, A, didn't even realize that, you know, they could do e-signatures and what that could do to their, their, their workflows. Given, given where COVID is now, what, what is the conversation? Cause you alluded to it earlier. What has the conversation been with folks? Like what, like I would imagine there was always a group that was reticent, you know, the last movers, what was it about COVID that, that caused them to say, okay, we've got to look at TrueMid now. You know, we're, 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 we're now at a point where, where we've got to make that decision. What was, what was the catalyst there for, for, for that movement in, in, in terms of that transition? Was, was, it, was it a function of the UX? Was it a function of those workflows? I mean, what, what was the, you know, ultimately, what was the catalyst for them to say, okay, now we've got to do it. We, we really don't have an option. Uh, you know, I think that, the look they were the market participants were dealt in march a, a, a real double blow which is the um you know virtually unprecedented market volatility which kind of in and of itself is very is very challenging and requires um all of the tools that one can have at their disposal to you know to manage it uh, manage it properly and play defense and offense and and you know times were were Things were quite volatile and challenging. Um, in parallel to that, you had completely unprecedented operating environments that now you're expected to do it from home. That's un- that's completely unprecedented. Mm-hmm. People are uh, accustomed to being in their offices with all of their colleagues. Certainly, if you're um, on the sell side and are a liquidity provider, you've got um, your you know your sales and trading colleagues all around you. You're shouting back and forth. You're getting information that way. You've got your six screen kind of cockpit set up. Um, you've got all your direct lines to your clients. And it's still really hard when the market's moving around. Now everyone was asked to, you know, go home and do it from their apartment or their home on a, on a laptop with their cell phone. So wow. I think that the, the limitations of this sort of OTC market structure were just completely laid bare in a way that, uh, no one could have even imagined. Meanwhile, you know, technology works just the same. It does exactly what it's supposed to do and was, you know, proved itself. So our technology and others proved themselves to be completely essential um, during that time. And I think forced people to realize like, gosh, this is doing this uh, via a screen, you know, communicating to everyone kind of automatically at the same time, because that's the way kind of technology uh, just fundamentally distributes information as opposed to going down the list and calling the first person and the second and then the third um, is, is I think it really just jumped off the page and, um, you know, frankly was uh, beneficial for everyone. Uh, It's not a, this is not a disintermediation thing. These are, you know, to a large extent, what we deliver our workflow tools. So when workflows were um, really challenged, 
the tools that we offer, I think, rose to the fore. Those who had um, really kind of already embedded in their work in their workflow really appreciated really appreciated the tools for for people who had kind of scratched the surface and were using you know, the Truman platform a little bit. I think it became clear that it was really valuable to them. Uh, and for the kind of minority of market participants that were still on the fence for whatever reason, um, again, this is not a very large community. We're talking about 300, 350 institutions. Uh, the word, word of mouth is pretty strong. So we absolutely have seen a material uptick in kind of incomings or processes that were slowly underway, getting integrated with various kind of proprietary systems um, on the client side. Uh, the, the sort of uh, demand for what Truman does has, has you know, really accelerated in the last few months. Uh, and you know, we think that, that only makes the network stronger for the participants who were, who were um, already there. And you know, it's that sort of stuff that leads to you know, the sticky behaviors where uh, you know, we we fully expect, and frankly, the market conditions have largely normalized. Obviously, operating conditions are uh, are still challenged. Most people are still at home, uh, but we strongly believe that, uh, like many of the kind of e-commerce and cloud computing and virtual meeting technologies that we've all become more comfortable with now, that even uh, when you know, knock on wood, the world uh, reverts to kind of a much more normal operating environment, broadly speaking. Um, many of these tools that people tried for the first time in the last few months uh, are going to remain firmly embedded in their workflow. Uh, and that is our kind of confident expectation around um, you know, the use of Truman's tools by, by our clients. And if I, so if I could sneak in one last question, and, and this, this is, this, we can have some fun with this in terms of uh, some of our listeners. So as, as you know, uh, we, we do have regulators listening to the show, which, which uh, out here is actually a good thing. Uh, and we do have folks, uh, you know, related to in principles at the exchanges. So as, as they listen to this, and obviously are all going through their own constraints in, in, in a COVID world, and as they're looking at all of their local markets, is, is what, what would you say to them today where is it a function of, hey, wait, you know, Trumid will come one day to your local market? Or, or is this the type of thing where, where Michael, you could say to, to the folks listening today that, hey, if your market exhibits XYZ characteristics, feel free to reach out. We'd love to talk. So how, how are you thinking about that expansion today? Because obviously the situation in the States is not unique. And it sounds like your story would, would, would work very well with um, other locations. And, and so for those listeners, what are the things they should be thinking about as they, as they potentially consider reaching out to you to potentially explore next steps? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And look, I think that we, we recognized that we, had, um, we were uniquely qualified in our home market uh, because we understood the product as well as anyone really could, just given our decades in the seat. Uh, and we knew the key market participants. Uh, so we had big competitive advantages. Uh, we now have, you know, we've learned a tremendous amount. We have um, assembled this really powerful client network. We've built a, um, a kind of really tested and demonstrated, resilient, but again, flexible technology architecture that's pretty unique in institutional capital markets. You know, that said, um, we are... Uh, really very enthusiastic about when we think about product or regional expansion, we want to be doing it um, in places where there's real demand for what we do. So we absolutely are um, uh, eager for kind of anchor tenants, whether that is 
um, exchanges or regulators or key market participants in in um, adjacent broadly similar markets where uh, they're kind of eager for a new set of tools and frankly a kind of technology provider uh, who kind of understands understands markets has demonstrated the ability to assemble a client network and deliver a product that works so that kind of um, uh, we prefer to be pulled into new markets than than kind of push our way in and uh, and just plant a flag in the ground and say, hey, we're here and this is what we think you need. Uh, and now let us try to convince you um, that kind of if you build it, they will come. We had no choice but to do that the first time around. But that's kind of not the expansion model. Uh, so eager to have those conversations. Now, I think in markets where uh, it, the, the, the workflow remains this kind of legacy thing, not benefit, you know, transparency is kind of thin, uh, really not capturing data in a way that is uh, serving the market participants uh, is, is kind of where a, a, um, an electronic, a technology-fueled marketplace really can be uh, impactful. Uh, and uh, we're, we're, we're eager uh, for those markets where, where our services can be helpful and where the important players of all the different types uh, are looking for, you know, are, are looking for someone like ourselves, a technology provider, a platform operator, uh, to uh, to work with them and and help uh, drive innovation, drive efficiency, drive ultimately velocity of that product. Uh, and that's kind of how you. Uh, it's not about. Um, capturing some of the existing liquidity, it really is about ultimately creating more liquidity in that marketplace. And that is the sort of uh, where kind of everyone wins. Um, so um, certainly we are uh, eyes wide open and uh, we've kind of got the, we've got the resources to now to uh, contemplate those sort of expansions. So would welcome uh, those, those conversations. Fantastic. And I think, again, to your point earlier, I, even for those listening on, on the uh, investment side, it sounds like this the, the, the moat that you've built is very, very deep and very, very wide. So you've, you've done an extraordinary amount of heavy lifting in a very, very difficult market environment. And, and uh, back to your earlier point on the behavioral change, kudos to you guys, because it's, it's uh, especially for that industry, it's very difficult for people to change. But once they do, it's very hard to, uh, to get them to move again. Michael, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you again for, for indulging us a little bit longer than, than normal. And uh, I hope if we can, I'd love to have you on later this year. Hopefully we'll be talking about a post-COVID world, but I think our listeners would uh, welcome an update and, and hearing what you guys are up to then at that point in time, if we could finagle that. Uh, I would love that. It's a pleasure talking to you as always, Frank. Um, appreciate, appreciate the time and uh, absolutely look forward to uh, talking about things through a, through a post-COVID lens and um, hope to be able to continue to deliver on, uh, you know, on our ambitious agenda. So uh, we'd be thrilled to, to do the update with you uh, at some point in the second half of the year. Perfect. And for our listeners, thank you again for listening to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Choice. Please be safe, wear a mask, and we'll look forward to talking with you again next week. Michael, get home safe. Thank you again. Thank you, Frank.